Hello and welcome to Accountable Arizona Election 2022. Today's episode features Maricopa County Attorney Candidate Julie Gunnigal. Talk about a dynamic community leader. Julie inspires us all with her commitment to justice and bringing equity to her community. From the beginning, she's been a champion of abortion access. She is our last line of defense when protecting our right to abortion in Arizona. I hope you enjoy our conversation and learn as much as I did from Julie. So I'm Julie Gunnigal. I am the Democratic nominee for Maricopa County Attorney, and I will be on the ballot for every single Maricopa County voter in the next 20 some odd days. Yes, we're counting down. It's Mm -hmm. coming so fast. Are you originally from Arizona? Yeah, so I was born and raised here. In fact, I was born and raised in Sunny Slope. My parents moved up to North Phoenix when I was in middle school. And yeah, I, I remember growing up in Phoenix, like as an itty bitty, like going to the Wallace and Ladmo show, you're nodding. Do you actually remember Wallace and Ladmo? It was a full thing. Yeah, and we moved back here to raise my kiddos because I just, I love Arizona. I love Phoenix. This is the place to be. And how long uh, have you been a practicing law? I am celebrating um, as of October 6th. I'm on my 17th year of practice. Oh, congratulations. We know the world is better because of it. (laughs) Uh, And I guess going back a little bit on Arizona, why do you love Arizona? You know, our state is freaking magnificent. And I mean, I always go back to the people because where else can you find, you know, folks, folks like this? And we're sitting in a state that's in the middle of its adolescence, right? Like it really hasn't figured out how to grapple with its past and where it wants to move toward for the future. And then the fact that we have named, you know, our biggest city, Phoenix, literally a bird that rises from the ashes and reinvents itself. I just, it, it's perfect. And I mean, we can't discount the actual geography too. Like yes. if you're a hiker, um, a runner, you know, Arizona's the place to be. Yeah. In paradise. Um, you can always find good weather. Like it might be, might have to drive a little bit, but there's usually good weather to be found in Arizona. Um, if you're elected, we have so many marvelous people here, but we also have so many marvelous marvelous people who are underserved. Um, How do you see using your position of power to serve um, those communities? Absolutely. So first, I loathe the phrase underserved when it comes to the criminal legal system because underserved tends to mean overserved, overpoliced, overprosecuted. We are home to million dollar blocks where Arizonans will spend a million dollars on just a city block locking up its residents. And that's wrong. So just so everybody understands the scope of the problem if they're just tuning in, Arizona is the fifth largest incarcerator in the country. And if Arizona was a country, it would be the eighth largest incarcerator in the world. Year over year, while our schools are begging for funds, our prisons, which has been largely privatized, whether it be actual private beds or private commissary, private health care, get a year over year increase. And right now it's to the tune of $1.5 billion. And I'm here to tell you that doesn't make us any safer. It makes us a laughing stock when it comes um, to racial disparities nationwide in that uh, Latino folks in Arizona on average pay over $600 more than their white counterparts in fines, fees, and court costs. 
the black Arizonans are far more likely to be locked up. It's to the tune of almost 400% overrepresentation in our prisons. And meanwhile, there are so few people who could actually make a difference. And, and let's be real, those are the politicians. Yeah. The people in charge don't want to talk about it. And I think we have to confront these issues head on. Yeah, it's insane to hear those numbers and just heartbreaking because there's so many great people that are just being attacked. Um, yes. Yeah. No, no, actually, yeah. wait, can we talk about yeah, that? Like when it comes to When it comes to, to bright people in particular, I mean, so I spent part of, my, um, part of my time in Arizona as part of a street law program. Okay. And what that program does is it goes into juvenile detention centers and it works directly with the youth there. And as you can expect, it's primarily a bunch of young black and brown males who are locked up right now in our detention services. I have never seen brighter people, more engaged people, smarter people than the people who are currently involved with our school to prison pipeline and involved with the criminal legal system from their earliest possible age. And if there's one problem that we can tackle to get at the racial disparities in policing and prosecution, it's going to be ending the school to prison pipeline and the foster care to prison pipeline. Yeah, that's, I feel like just recently I've learned this, or I don't want to, zoned in on how like the lack of structure around like foster parents and the awfulness that comes out, unfortunately, of those programs. Like a side note, like I mean, if we're talking about corruption, which I know that's one yeah. of your favorite things to oh, talk about, yeah. we bonded. <laughs> I mean, we cannot not talk about DCS in Arizona, and I don't hear anybody who would have the power to to change that system talking about it. In Arizona right now, we terminate parental rights at a rate that is 17 and a half times the rate of New York City. That's not 17 and a half percent more, that's 17 and a half times more. And I did not appropriately appreciate the scope of the problem until I started taking cases that intersect with pregnancy, drug use, and the criminalization of both um, this last year. Real quick story time. Yeah, okay. Represented a mama, she's fine with me telling this story. Mm -hmm has hypermesis gravidarum. That's the form of nausea that people can get during pregnancy okay. that is so severe, you wouldn't even wish it on Carrie Lake. Like you literally vomit <laughs> yeah. for, for mm -hmm. nine whole months and one mm -hmm. out of three pregnancies ends up in a, in a stillbirth or a miscarriage. It's that level of severe. Pharmaceuticals wouldn't touch it. She's one of the original um, marijuana medical card, card holders. Went to her doctor, doctor said, well, if nothing else is touching it, the, the benefits outweigh the risks, try some cannabis. It worked. It saved her life. It saved her baby's life. When that healthy baby was born, DCS placed her on the central neglect registry, making it impossible for her to have employment for the next 25 years. So in my view, it's incredibly important for whomever we elect in Arizona to understand like how all of these little overlapping systems of oppression all fit together because DCS is out of control when we talk about the, the incarcerated population as well literally at 366 days of incarceration, somebody is liable to lose their child and have parental rights terminated. And it is a big issue and a collateral consequence of the criminal legal system. It's also one of these generational things that we talk about, right? Like, because the moment you lose a parent to the carceral system, the, you are far, far more likely to be involved in the criminal legal system yourself. Yeah. And while we're touching each of these big issues, uh, 
because as we mentioned earlier, there's so many in Arizona that <laughs> need fixing. What, from your position, what do you think the best way for Arizonans to hold politicians accountable is? And bonus points if you don't say both. <laughs> no, there are so many external levers of power in Arizona that have not yet been explored. I'm probably going to get in big trouble for this answer, but um, I think the party system is failing here in Arizona. And I think for some, some really big reasons. Um, first, Arizona politics reminds me, even though I was born and raised yeah. here, reminds me a lot of what I saw prosecuting in Chicago, right? When you have single party control of, of a system, whether it's like the ledge, which has been at 60 years or, right. you know, or otherwise, what it, what it breeds is a culture of you know, not being accountable, of feeling like you're entitled to vote money into your own pocket. And I'm sure as we're going to see at the tail end of this gubernatorial administration, giving away every appointment you can to every person that you, you know and love on the way out. So I think that's, that's definitely an issue, single party control, and we need to have a balanced government. When it comes to Democrats being the opposition party, because we felt, I think, so, so much like the underdogs for so yeah. long, it seems like the culture and mentality is any win is a win. Let's not be critical when somebody on our team fails. And I think that's equally absolutely unacceptable. Yeah. when Because it's the Arizona Democratic Party has like, had some very interesting shifts, too. Because I think for a long time, like, we had a lot of more corporate wealthy Democrats running the show that we did have. The small slice of pie that Democrats did have in Arizona, it was pretty friendly, almost, I'd say, to the opposition. And now I think we're feeling the effects of that in a lot of ways of just being uncomfortable to call things out when they're wrong or be being afraid to stand up um, and lead by values, as uh, Diego Rodriguez said in our interview. Yes. yes, I mean, that's exactly it. Lead on values, but also like lead on issues. I think one yes. of the reasons why this campaign has been so successful and this and the polling is reflecting that is that we we don't start with, hey, what would it be like to have a Democrat in this office? Right. Instead, it's, hey, what would it be like to address the culture of corruption? What would it be like if the wealthy, the powerful, the well-connected experience the same standards of justice as everyone else? You know, yeah. and, and leading in and being unapologetic when it comes to bodily autonomy. And I don't think that we that we see enough of that. And I think it's refreshing to voters when they, they see people who are willing to fight on their behalf with a level of authenticity. And, you know, that's something that when you, for example, look at the gubernatorial ticket on the other side, like that's not, authenticity is not something that they're lacking. Yeah. Um, and that in a very strange way connects with, with voters. So I think that there's a, another path forward that isn't, to put a fine point on yeah. it, like the Kirsten Cinema path, right? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I think you can win elections in Arizona, not by triangulating your positions to be like the most palatable, but to be strong and bold and unapologetic. Yeah. I think is increasingly coming a path. Yes, and just all kinds of excitement around that, right? I think is that seems to be kind of the missing reason sometimes that, oh, we don't want to shut other followers out. It's like, well, you have so many other followers that are 
excited if they know what they're fighting for instead of just some middle of the road person that yes oh my gosh, <laughs> it's exactly that and it's like a mentality when you look at voters that somehow independent means undecided yes and i will never claim to know anything but i know <laughs> one thing with absolute certainty and it is that independent does not mean undecided the thing that all independents share is a frustration with the two-party system and I think there is room in Arizona, especially if that is the largest uh, voter group and it is growing, yeah. to make sure that we're engaging with that with those folks. And I think the way to do it isn't to consider them like persuadable voters where you can just moderate your message yeah. so much, but instead start persuading the people who would stay home. Like that's a persuasion universe too. People yeah. need someone to believe in in this moment. Yes, and it's again the belief that like independents are moderate like usually it's out of a frustration with either or both parties. It's not, oh, I can't decide. It just, I don't feel seen by either of these options. Yeah. Right, and like reminding people like, I'm sorry, moderate isn't a party. Right. And moderate isn't a, isn't a political philosophy. It's determined by where the two polars are, right? And like, as Arizona has drifted so far to the right, like reminding people of their values, do you really stand halfway between insurrection and hey, maybe democracy is a good idea? <laughs> yeah. um, and, and I think there's definitely room for that in the political discourse. Right. So speaking of political discourse, um, I know one of the kind of popular answers to how to hold people accountable is show up, bug your elected officials, you can email them, call them. Um, how do you plan on being available if elected to your constituents? Yeah, I mean, a few different things. First, um, the kind of campaign we are running is going to translate to the kind of administration that we have. So the way I envision that is to continue to have town halls, to continue to have coffee, to continue to you know have these events that are open to the public, yeah. even to people who would disagree with what we're doing with that office and the changes that we want to make because when elected, you represent the entire county. I think it also means that we are bringing people who've been excluded back to the table. Um, and the thing that's always been left out in the administration of the county attorney's office is that the people who have been directly impacted by the system have never been invited to share any of the power or give any of the input. And if there is one thing this campaign has done well, I think it's engaging with directly impacted people and making sure that that feedback is received and heard. And I can't even tell you how many issues that wouldn't have been on, on my radar um, and that I am so thankful for right. people sharing their experience. Yeah, that's a great music to my ear. <laughs> better than the other side of complaining. <laughs> We've touched on it, it at detail already in our conversation, uh, but Arizona historically and really present state has a lot of white supremacy historically, again, policies left and right. What, how do you think an average voter or someone listening, what is the best way of fighting that um, at the individual level? Wow. Okay, we're going to need like an hour if we really want to <laughs> deep dive that. No, on an individual level, I think it's really important that before people cast their vote, they are inquiring of their candidates. Like, what are you going to do about, uh, about the systemic racism that's baked into the system, right? Yeah. 
And so I can't speak for, for everybody, but I can speak when it comes to the criminal legal system, like what that looks like. And that looks like racial disparities in sentencing. That looks like over-policing. That looks like the fact that the DOJ is here because uh, we are still home to one of the most violent police forces in the country that disproportionately murders black and brown men um, in our streets. And I think we need to have people in office who are willing to, to name it. First of all, that is a big change just in Arizona culture. Yes. Like, let's name it what it is. But then they, they need to have a cognizance that this isn't an individualized problem. Right. Um, this isn't a people problem. This is a systems problem. And when you want to address a systems problem, you need to be absolutely intentional in how you confront it. So one of the things um, that, that we intend to do upon taking office is do a full audit of the office. There's actually a gold standard when it comes to getting rid of racial disparities yeah. in policing and prosecution. It comes from the Vera Institute. And what it does is it allows you to see like where those biases that are layered over and over with each step in the system, where they come in. So for example, there's a really famous case study that um, this institute did out of, um, I wanna say it was a place in Minnesota. Okay. What they found was the reason why black folks were facing much longer sentences for drug possession is that the prosecutor's office, every time they saw a black person come on through the system, would tack on a paraphernalia charge when, but they weren't doing that for their white counterparts, even though paraphernalia was found. Right. And it was easy enough to create a policy. You either charge it for everybody or you charge it for no one. But that is a way of addressing like the systems right. issue. Because if we just say that we're going to elect a well-intentioned white lady, right. sorry, that doesn't cut it. Like We need so much more than that. Right. Yeah, just complete overhaul, really, of just decades of building on the racism <laughs> over and Again, sigh, but I'm I got physically excited when hearing the hopes of an audit, um, especially kind of going back to we seem to be afraid to name things of like the DOJ is here and it's just it seemed to kind of just slip right through like oh they're just they're doing some chatting, getting some coffee, like, yeah. no, the federal investigation. five different reasons that, that very much matter. I mean, they're, they're here because of police violence. They're here because of disproportionate stops. They're here because of the collusion between the Phoenix Police Department and the county attorney's office to target protesters and silence people they disagreed with. And they're here because of harassment toward the unsheltered population, like five separate issues that all deserve, you know, our attention. And yet, yeah, we're not we're not talking about it. We're not we're not talking about the people the people's problems in there as well. I mean, to this day, this office um, at last public records request actually the better way to phrase it at last rec public records request the county attorney's attorney leadership team entirely white. We're living in one of the most diverse counties in the entire country. Tell me how that's possible? On purpose. <laughs> It's yeah. almost like the system isn't broken that yeah. is acting exactly as it was designed to do. Yeah. System. It's nothing enrages. Like, I don't know. You think that's a lot of the problem that people run into of like you just, you start feeling so much energy because I'm upset at that. It's like, well, we're going to have to band together to get it changed. And that's, that's right. And it's, it's going to be a project. We didn't end up here overnight. We're not going to be able to dismantle and move forward with a, a system that is just and fair and has the sorts of mechanisms to adequately address harm overnight. But man, there's so much stuff that we can do that will make an immediate impact on people's lives. Well, 
the point I was very excited to get to of the interview. Mm. Um, well, mostly to say, I so I asked this of everyone, um, and I will say, I think between you and Superintendent Hoffman, you are split even of the being the answer to who are you excited to vote for? Just immediate, Julie got <laughs> me too, we're all, we're all ready. But who are you or what are you excited to vote for in November? Oh my goodness, so many things. Um, uh, first of all, people, I am so excited for Superintendent Hoffman's second term. She has been an absolute leader and I am so pleased to brag that I was on her team from the outset because of how magnificent she is. I don't think we're talking enough about the treasurer's office. Yes. Um, and Martin Quesada absolutely needs to win. And his bold vision and the person he's running against is just, it's just a race that's not getting the attention it deserves. Right. And then, in my view, the most exciting and most important race on everyone's ballot this year is, of course, their local school board. Yes. Because that has been a breeding ground for extremism and the decisions that they make reverberate throughout the generation. So... Um, I'm going to be voting in Paradise Valley Unified, which means I'm voting for Carrie Baker, uh, Tony Pantera, and Susan Matora. Against the book banning, against, uh, against the extremism, it's going to be beautiful. But everybody needs to be paying attention to their local school board. Yes. Even if you don't have children. Especially yeah. if you don't have children. First of all, like that, it is beautiful that we have these sorts of positions that are, that are deemed nonpartisan. And... These races and the kind of campaigns that they're running are truly heroic. Like if you want to see real people running for office, look no further than your school board and the ways that they've tried to do community outreach is just, it's, oh, I got goosebumps. They're nothing short of inspiring. Well, and so many just, again, diverse group of candidates across every school board. Like I believe in Mesa, um, the first Latino school is running. Like, like Martinez, yes. and he's going to be amazing. And we should probably re-elect Mar yes. Marcy Hutchinson yes. because she's she has yes. been awesome, and we need a, a real fighter there. Um, I moved in Chandler by Patti Serrano's campaign. She's incredible. Um, in Phoenix Union, we have Tamila Venezuela, who is running an amazing community-oriented campaign. In, in Tempe uh, Unified, Amanda Steele, who has a heroic story about um, you know how she's raised her son, and she's always been a resource to me when it comes to all things autism, like. I'm going to leave people out, but there are, because there's 19 different school right. board members yeah. that my campaign uplifts and supports. Wow. Okay. We've basically turned the county attorney's race into the coordinated campaign for us down ballot folks. So mm -hmm. we're supporting school board, we're supporting the water board, and we're supporting um, the EVIT Community College, and then of course, um, Kelly Butler, who's running for the at-large seat. Yeah. Oh. So again, so many great individuals that Arizonans can be excited about even in our times of despair. <laughs> like there is a lot of hope on the ballot if we can, again, I don't love telling people to vote, but we have so many great opportunities, both candidates and propositions um, with getting dreamers, the in-state tuition, yes. uh, even I'm, <laughs> Very niche, but uh, well, not niche to rural Arizona, but with 310, uh, the fire districts, like I'm from one of those rural nowhere, and there aren't medical services. And so I think we have an opportunity to really uplift each other with this midterm. And I hope that we can we'll all be smiling <laughs> in November, but and not the GOP, but. <laughs> 
I, I also hope so. Yeah. Knowing that we're not going to have um, results on November 8th, but you know, into, into that week, I hope that we end up seeing exactly as you've said, um, we need to make sure that in-state tuition for, um, for our dreamers comes to fruition. We need to pass um, healthcare rising, which will be huge for so many of the families I serve as the legal director for the Poor People's Campaign who are struggling with medical debt, and that is gonna be transformative. We have a chance to vote dirty money out of our politics. Finally, finally, let's it's do been it. a fight. Like if you're just do it again, that has been a bloody fight. Well, not bloody, but mm -hmm. politically bloody. Oh, I mean, okay. Marshall Militano's notary thumbs were bloody as a result. Like those, that the fact that it's taken us this long to get there, and then I think there's plenty of stuff to vote against yes. as well because. I am somebody who believes in the initiative and referendum process because that's how we have nice things in Arizona. Yeah. We need to make sure that the threshold remains at 50%, a simple majority, and not this three-fifths um, referendum that they're trying to use to take away the voters' power. Right. Well, and not only the majority, but simple or single initiative, um, which, again, for the record, to my knowledge, has never really been how initiatives have done like most uh, ballot initiatives from what I can tell whether the were sponsored by Democrats or GOP have multiple proposals because you have to get half, more than half a million signatures and it seems like a direct attack that they want to ask voters to do three to four times the work. Yeah, I mean, okay, can we talk about that Please. for a second? Because I, I think that's actually the wisest way to look at it. So as somebody who believes that uh, marijuana should have never been illegal and that the war on drugs has largely been, been a war on drug users and a racial-based war that has locked up a disproportionate amount of black and brown yeah. Arizonans, but, but um, when we saw 207, that's exactly, which uh, of course legalized adult, responsible adult use, that would have had to be broken into three, four, five different proposals. And we have seen the states that have gone down this path, South Dakota is one of them, invalidate these voter initiatives, um, and especially the ones that they don't like based on the culture war, and they went yeah. after marijuana first um, under the single subject rule. So it allows it not just to have to conform to that, but once it's passed, once you put in all of these millions, it allows the Supreme Court, which now has a reputation of invalidating voter initiatives. Backed with Ducey extremists. Backed Ducey extremists. If we want nice things in Arizona, we need to make sure we have the initiative process. Yes. And that goes for both 128 and 129 of, I'm sure, as I Will Hubble brought up a great point for 128 is that there's really not, legally speaking, a concrete definition of illegal. Correct. Wait, or, yeah, uh, give, me, give me context. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so 128 says that the legislature can throw out any voter initiative if they deem it unconstitutional or illegal. <laughs> Which they've already done, but they had to go through the court process, so this would eliminate their requirement. That's exactly right, and we now have a vagueness issue, and it's incredibly problematic when you have a vague law that is passed into effect by the voters, in particular. Um, again, going back to, to weed politics, like our first medical marijuana was invalidated and vetoed by the governor. As a direct result, we got the Voter Protection Act that says that anything that you do to these voter initiatives needs to be in furtherance of them and passed by a supermajority. And so as voters, we need to be incredibly careful what we vote in because it is now incredibly difficult to vote it out. Yeah, and 
it's that weird tricky spot of because I had broke them down on TikTok and I got a lot of comments of like well aren't they already just doing what they want it's like yeah but now it wouldn't even need the court step which yeah usually not going in our favor but hopefully in the future we could but let's not give them any more power <laughs> than they've already stolen from them for themselves yeah i mean it's it's terrifying when we talk about what the balance of power you know really ought to be here in Arizona. And I think as we see the Republicans start to lose power, what we've seen is even more extremism, where you'd expect to see the opposite, right? You'd expect to see more people meeting in the middle, figuring out what kind of compromises we can come to to move forward as a community. And no, we've seen the exact opposite. It's so much at stake. <laughs> Just please, let's not uh, make it harder on voters. That's, I feel like a pretty, bipartisan reaching issue we can agree on. Things don't need to be harder for voters. I, I mean, you would think that you that think. is common sense. Um, yeah, there's there's so much more though that we need to do on access um, to the ballot too. Yes. And I was sad to see the initiative not have enough signatures. That's not fair. I was sad to see the initiative have the court reject so many signatures right. for people who wanted to see it. Um, but our, our issues transcend even that. So like when we talk about the incarcerated population, you know what, at least in our jails, a lot of those folks are gonna be eligible to vote and not have access to the ballot. And then because we are so over-incarcerated in Arizona, we know that we have disenfranchised so many voters. And in our state in particular, it's incredibly difficult to not just get your rights back, that process is less than, than clear, um, but to ensure that you've done it the right way. Right. Because um, in Arizona, if you re-register to vote thinking that your conviction and your civil rights have been restored and you are in fact incorrect, you are facing a felony. Felony? Yeah. Wow. So there's a, there's a long way that we need to go to, to re-enfranchise folks. Yeah. And cannabis expungement, I think, was a good part of that. Yes. I can't even tell you how many people, of the, the several thousand expungements I did, like that was the thing that was holding up a lot of people from being able to vote. Right. So yay, we have right. new yeah. voters coming into the fold. But I also can't tell you how many people, as we were going through the expungement process, had other collateral felonies that permanently disenfranchised them until they were able to get their rights back. Unfortunately, not surprising, but still heartbreaking to hear and even we have our, again, top prison population of the country, so we know how many of those we're disenfranchising. We have so many rural and tribal voters that don't have that immediate, again, like if you have an Arizona driver's license, it's probably pretty easy to register to vote, but that is not something that applies statewide. And if we're going to put so much I guess pressure's probably stretching it a little bit, but uh, so much, so many of our eggs in the voting basket, we should at least make sure all of our fellow Arizonans can do it. That's exactly right. I can't even tell you, like as we're out there knocking the doors, how many people have people in their household who are not registered to vote, who want to be voters, but they're afraid to ask the question like, um, how, how do we do it? 
And I know that we're we're sitting here um, the, on the day of yeah, this is like the last day yeah. to register. Yes. But then the next challenge becomes educating voters as to like what their ballot looks like. Yeah. So many people are confused when they they open and like okay cool they see some names that they recognize, but then they get about halfway down and and you see races like the water conservation right. district and your care is what do they do? Yeah. And then you corporation see commission. Well, right. <laughs> Well, and then you flip it over and then you really see names that you've never been familiar with when we talk about our judicial retention system. So I think there's a lot to be done to educate voters and make sure that people understand like, hey, A, you can leave things blank. That's a choice. B, here's why you shouldn't. And talk about like where all that power is centralized, which is right there on the bottom of the front side of their ballot. Even I think you could easily be like, oh, I don't have children. Why am I going to vote in a school board race or even I think I've always struggled historically on making informed decisions on judges. It seems each election to be the hardest to find information of anything they've done. That's um, exactly right. Yeah. And then again, you just don't like you either leave it blank and then you feel like, oh, I missed something or you guess and that probably isn't ideal. Uh. No, or you pick somebody based on their name, also not ideal. Um, May I offer something to your listeners? Okay, so when it comes to that back of the ballot, first of all, there's a reason why you're not hearing more about those judges, and that's because the people who work most closely with them, the attorneys, actually have some ethical rules about how they can talk about judges. Okay. So first of all, there's a little bit of silencing of the people who've been, um, who are most directly impacted by those decisions. But there are at least three different uh, ways that you can vote on those judges. Um, First, you can look at whether the Judicial Retention um, Commission has said that they should be retained. Um, and correct me if I'm, no, you don't need to be corrected. I know this for certainty. Every single judge on the backside of their ballot, the Judicial Retention Commission has said, please keep. Okay. So that is a, a strategy. Um, another strategy is to go to a to the Civic Engagement Beyond Voting site, and there's a page called Gavel Watch, and they have specific recommendations. Um, they specifically, for example, recommend not retaining Bill Montgomery, and they list their reasons why, and it has to do with his appointment process and some of the decisions that he made to be well, especially um, not inclusive of the LGBTQ community when he was county attorney. And so that is at least a reasoned approach. Approach three, which is how I used to vote for a very long time, is, hey, judges get um, retained by massive margins. (laughs) Vote no on all of them. Yeah. I think I I might have gone that strategy last 2020. (laughs) It's valid, but I won't quote myself. But yeah, it's. Lots of decisions as a voter that you can make and should have the power uh, to make. But that is the last of my questions. But if there's anything else you'd love to live, if you would love to leave listeners with anything else, now is your time. The 30 seconds I want everybody to know is that we can have an Arizona that is safer and saves us money if we can get somebody else in that county attorney's office whether it be investing in treatment and treating gun violence, mental health and addiction as the public health crisis that it is, getting rid of corruption, or I think most importantly in this moment, keeping prosecutors out of our bedrooms and our bodies and not enforcing that 1864 abortion ban. There is so much at stake in these bottom of the ballot races. And I do hope that everybody is voting in the county attorney race um, and that they realize like what this position could do for them to make a better county. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me.
Thank you for listening to my conversation with Julie. She is truly a leader who walks the walk as much as she talks the talk. Please join me in telling everyone you know in Maricopa County to vote for Julie. Her website is gunnigal2022.com, which will be linked at our website. Don't forget to stay accountable, Arizona. Thank you. Thank you to local artist Junk Dior for our intro and outro music, All of Your Days.